Today, I've, I've got a standalone message. I've got a standalone message, and we're going to talk about probably your favorite topic and uh, my favorite topic as well. It's the topic of regret. Come on, hold your excitement, somebody. We're going to talk about reframing regret. Can we say that together? One, two, three, reframing regret. Listen, I've been in ministry long enough to know that you have people in your life. You have an advocate and you have an accuser. And one of the greatest difficulties sometimes in our walk with God is listening to the right one. And regret, if it's not reframed, can be a playground for the enemy of our soul. And that he will use um, past mistakes, um, painful mistakes, painful difficulties, frustrations, seasons of life that we'd rather not revisit. But when we do revisit them or when uh, a memory is triggered, sometimes the enemy of our soul can play on those seasons of life. And if you're anything like me, you can go from pumped up, excited, encouraged, and in 30 seconds, you're like, man, that stinks. <laughs> well, what's the difference? I listen to the accuser and not the advocate over my life. So today I hope, I hope today through God's word, through stories, to practically equip you. Is that all right today? I want to practically equip you. I want to, I want to put some artillery, if that makes sense. I want to give you some ammunition against the enemy of your soul. Because he doesn't fight fair. And he will use seasons. He will use occasionally people. <gasps> To remind us of our past who are familiar with us. I want you to think about the spirit of the accuser. Think about it for a moment. Think about, we like to think if Jesus visited us or came to me in this moment that I'd be all gung-ho and excited. But you know, in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth was the most difficult area for him to minister. Do you know why? Because people had become so familiar. They, they knew who he was in his humanity that they couldn't know who he was in his God image and godliness. We believe, you know, Jesus fully God, yet fully man. They couldn't comprehend that. They couldn't understand that. And it actually says he could do little or very few miracles there because of their lack of faith. That's what happens to us when we give ourselves over to regret and we give ourselves over to the whispers of the evil one. So I want to take a moment. And regret comes. You know this, right? I'm going to say some truths. You know this to be true. Regret comes in all sorts of different shapes and different sizes. And it has an influence on our inner life that sometimes it's anticipated and other times it's totally unexpected. It's just how the enemy works sometimes. And it regret, here's what I say, it reaches back to remind us of who we once were. Every one of us has regrets in life. You're in good company. If you got a regret or a thousand regrets, you're in good company. You're not alone. Maybe it's decisions we've made that looking back we, we wouldn't have made. Hindsight is what? 2020. <laughs> there are relationships we started or ended and looking back we'd changed some things. Amen? Ever been there? There are courses in life that we took that if we could do it all over again we'd rethink them entirely. I have a few possible ones that, that may or may not be for you, but maybe it's a marriage that didn't make it, and it's regret. Maybe it's a child you consider parenting 
differently. Maybe it's the job you took only to find out it had problems all along the way. Perhaps it's an investment in a company that filed for bankruptcy. Not all of these are deep-seated inner hurt. Some are. I was thinking about some regrets in the investment arena of life, and I think about Ronald Wayne. How many of you know Ronald Wayne? That's what I thought. He was... (laughs) Oh, good. That's what I thought. He was one of three founders of the company called Apple. He was the only one at the founding of Apple who owned a home and didn't have significant, uh, significant assets, but had a few assets in the bank. Well, 12 days in, he was looking at these other startups with him. He was looking at these guys, and they were way too risky. He was in his 40s. They were in his 20s. A guy by the name of Steve, Steve Jobs had just taken out a loan for $5,000. Ronald Wayne was panicking and He was like, this is crazy. So he gave back his 10% of the company, which was a whopping $800 at the time. So he said, I'm out, guys, in 1976. Well, when Apple in 2018 was the first company to hit the trillion-dollar mark, uh, 10% was only a measly $95 billion, somebody. How many of you feeling just way better in this moment right now? Come on. Thank God I'm not Ronald Wayne, somebody, all right? But we all have regrets. Listen, we, we, we do. They're just seizures. We look back. Listen, it's no problem to look back and think, hey, I may have made, retweaked some things. This message isn't just for the retweakers. This message today is for ones that you know that in the silence of your soul, in the stillness of your drives to work, or even moments when you're alone at home, that the enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy by manipulating regretful moments to cripple you from moving forward. I talk about the enemy of our soul uses our regret as ammunition to cripple our future. 1 Peter 5.8, it says this, Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to attempt to distract you, to discourage you, to disappoint you. It happens to each one of us. And we've got to be alert to his cunning, right? We've got to be alert to every time he tries to remind us of who we were. We don't really, if we are in Christ, here's the reality, we really don't have permission to revisit our past without the Holy Spirit coming along. Because if we do, we leave behind the advocate and we partner with the accuser over our soul. And there's nothing like regret that I think sometimes can blind us to what God is doing in the present and all the good things that he has toward our future. And so I felt kind of a a, a zeal, if you will, a holy passion to declare this over you, that, 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 that God is the God who reworks regret. And that it's our responsibility to partner with God in reframing our past, reframing some of the situations. I remember years ago when we 
ministered in Florida. Wonderful, wonderful couple uh, kind of adopted us. They had, they had kids um, that were similar age, and they, they came to the campus we attended. Just incredible. They'd have us over for dinner, and we had had our oldest daughter, just had our oldest daughter at the time, and they adopted her. Man, they just showered her with presents and gifts, and they were an incredible blessing. Man, salt of the earth kind of people. You know, you want those people in your life. Amen? But you know, regret is a part of all of our stories. And I remember after a great dinner together, and Kelly was talking with the wife, and, the, um, and Lily was probably running circles or drawing on something she shouldn't have. I can't quantify exactly what was happening there. The husband pulled me aside, and we, we were just talking by the television, and he said, man, he said, depression comes on me so fast. And I looked at him. I mean, I'm a little more aged or seasoned as a pastor now, but I remember back then I was like, What? Wait, you're real empathetic, right? What are, you, what are you talking about? They had retired early, had inherited um, a, 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 a great blessing from relatives. And life, I mean, from my vantage point in my late 20s, I was like, can it get any better than this? This is awesome. House, on, house uh, close to the beach. I mean, walking distance. It was remarkable. They loved the Lord. Committed to the local church. They knew scripture. Then he pulled me aside and he said, man, he said, there was this season. It was just this season. I was so consumed with work, so consumed with life. He said, I made some regretful decisions. I'll spare you the details. But he just, he just began to pour out his heart. And back then, I, I would have changed some of my ways, perhaps, and, and giving him more of a listening ear. But I, I did speak truth to him. And I said, listen, I said, you know God forgives you. And, and, and he knew God forgave him. I said, you know, your, your, your spouse has, has forgiven you too. He's like, I know. I, I don't know why. And here's what was happening. Despite the wind at his back, favorable circumstances... Incredible people in his life to encourage him, a place to serve. He still had a nagging feeling that he was beyond the love and the mercy of God. I want to tell you this morning, God meets you in your past. God isn't bringing up your past. Psalm chapter 103, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And yet, we still deal with some regret, somebody. We've got to be alert. We've got to be sober-minded. I will tell you, I, there's no statistical evidence on this, but I've seen many people lose faith, lose faith in, the, in God, in church, because of the voice of the enemy reminding them, reminding them, reminding them, reminding them. His tricks aren't new, but it doesn't mean we can just haphazardly walk through life. We have to be on the offensive, reminding ourselves of the depths of God's love, reminding ourselves daily of the mercy, the goodness, the living hope we sang about, the living hope we have in Christ Jesus. In fact, I was thinking about this driving down the road. That's something pastors do. And I, and I had this thought. I, I had this thought I wanted to speak over you, that you are not a mirror of your mistakes. I wanted to speak over, the, the, over you this morning that you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. 
I wanted to speak over you that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if the enemy's been whispering you about your past, you know where I'm going. Just remind him of his future because you have been set apart and set free. And I want to encourage you, man, we don't have permission. Nudge your neighbor. Say, you don't have permission to revisit your past without taking Jesus with you. You just don't. Sometimes, I know how it is, man. You're like, what kind of crazy past did you have? I, I don't know. I've got, everywhere I look is God's grace. But every once in a while, I have those thoughts. I'm like, man, I would have handled that differently. And have you ever had them? It's like a surge of adrenaline. Makes the hairs, the, your arms. You think, how could I have been so stupid, Ronald Wayne? No, you're just, you're just like, oh my gosh. The, Lord, the Lord's had to tell me. He's had to remind me, man. Hey, you can go there, but I'm not going. I, I, I can't. You, you don't. I love Bill Johnson. He says, man, we can't have, we cannot afford to have one thought that our Father is not having about us. And that's so true. It's so true. And it, it's time, I believe, as believers, as followers of Christ, man, that we, that we are alert. And we're sober-minded. I want to speak just for a few moments Really, just for a few moments. We got Kona eyes coming. I got to be quick. For a few moments on regret. I want to let you know that the scriptures before you that you hold before you, predominantly written by somebody who had to battle through regret. His name's Saul of Tarsus. And when Saul of Tarsus comes on the pages of your scriptures, it's in the book of Acts first. And it's in the chapter 8 that it says in verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. Stephen is the first Christian martyr. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Where was Paul? Verse 3. But Paul began to destroy the church. Just let that sink in. Going from house to house. Tell us some details. Oh, okay. He dragged off both men and women, put them in prison. He wrote most of your and my New Testament. Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 8. Glory be to God leads to Acts chapter 9. With the sovereignty of the ridiculous, reckless love of God takes Paul out, changes his life forever. But Paul would be one who, if you become familiar with his letters, you can begin to read moments where he revisits his past. Moments where you can imagine the enemy of his soul is coming to remind him and to discount his work. Paul also didn't just suffer an inner difficulty, an inner tension, an inner, inner persecution. He, by God, church planning wasn't easy for Paul. He was persecuted on the outside. He was betrayed. He was discouraged. And then on top of that, thrown in prison, whipped, left out to dry, not left out to dry, sorry, not hung out to dry, hung out to sea in the deep waters. Trials, temptations, difficulties. And then you can imagine, like me, on top of that, the enemy whispers, what are you doing? What are you thinking, Paul? It's recorded. 
you went about destroying the church. And yet Paul was one who pushed through regret. Paul was one who pulled one over on the enemy. He no longer identified himself in his past. He identified himself as a new creation in Christ Jesus. We have those words for you and for me as a gift because of Paul's faithfulness and his steady work committed to Christ, committed to his way. But you can imagine the inner turmoil Paul would have to go through. I've got three keys. They all start with R, and that's Kona Ice in the background. You're welcome. (laughs) I told you, some of you doubted. You should have been full of faith. Kona Ice, Mike. Keys to reframing regret. I pray these help. I pray these help. Maybe all three, but certainly I'm, I'm sure one or two of them. First is repent. I've pastored people, sometimes through their past, and have come to find out they actually never repented of what was done. Repentance, it's, it's, it, it, <laughs> repentance is not really a church growth word in these days and times. But it's what your soul so desperately needs. When the enemy reminds you of your past, you can remind him of the moment you got on your knees or you were driving down the car and you said, Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. We don't believe in, uh, I think what some streams of the Christian world call that, that, that flagellation, I remember, where people hit themselves or you, you strap something around your arm just to feel the pain. You know, we don't believe in repentance having all those sorts of marks. I believe in repentance being an inner work where Paul would write, go figure, in Romans, that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God. Repentance, I think about a... (laughs) I'm glad they're in kids' church. I think about my youngest daughter right now. Here's what repentance looks like and what repentance doesn't look like. Here's, let's start with what it doesn't look like. So occasionally, very rarely at our house, but occasionally, my daughters will have a quarrel. They will... They will argue. I don't know where they get it from, but they will argue, and they'll have an opinion, and they will stand their ground. And in those moments, I have to come alongside them and uh, discipline or coach them through their behavior. And here's what almost always happens to our youngest daughter. I'm like, Emma, you tell her you're sorry right now. Sorry! No joke. I want to be like, that's an exaggeration. It's not. <laughs> Is she sorry? <laughs> but it's the sweetest, thing with, the sweetest thing with Emma. She'll revisit. <laughs> and I know she's processed things and repent. She'll come alongside and she'll be like, hey, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry for how I acted. I'm sorry for what I said. And I'm like, I appreciate that, Emma. Now go tell your sister, not me. <laughs> no, but I, mean, but I mean God's doing a work in her life. And, and what is that? That, that? That's repentance. That's what we're after. And Paul would write, 2 Corinthians 7.10, listen, godly sorrow brings repentance that what? Leads to where? And leaves But worldly sorrow brings... Godly sorrow leads to transformation and a change of direction. Repentance isn't just feeling sorry for yourself for what you did. 
Repentance, if you go back to the Greek, it is to rethink one's course, one's direction, and to change. It's what the, it's what the God of Scripture, it's what the Holy Spirit invites us into. This course of action is causing damage. You feel sometimes the consequences, you feel some of the damage, but glory be to God, you can repent, you can still change course. Paul would write about this godly sorrow. Acts chapter 9, I personally believe, is Paul's manifesto on godly sorrow. He was blinded, and he was taken to Ananias' house. And Ananias laid hands on him, and like scales, the scriptures say, fell off his eyes. And he could see again. How about that for new life? The world had completely changed. And then Ananias baptized him in the Holy Spirit. And so all of the unclean spirit, if you will, had come out. And all of the Holy Spirit had come in. And now Paul was able to minister. That, I believe, in an essence, is what happens to us when we repent. Guess what? Our regret is now reframed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And by the mercy of heaven that's towards us. If you're curious about some of us around you, like, what is it with them? We've reframed our regret. We can't help but celebrate. We can't help but joyfully worship and serve the Lord because of what he's done, knowing who we were. That's what Paul writes. He writes that godly sorrow leads to salvation. It brings the repentance But its outcome is salvation. It's healing. It's the living waters that we receive through the Holy Spirit that God calls for us to do. And how how does it happen? It happens in the moment regret comes to knock on the door. You can be reminded of God's goodness in and over your life. So we repent. We reframe. Romans 8, 28, here's part of the reframing process. This is really where we partner with what God is doing in. Sometimes we know it, amen, we know it, you know it, I know it, but then we know it in our knower, that our inner life knows it. Romans 8, 28, and we know with great confidence that God who is deeply concerned about us, all our Amplified Bible fanatics are excited because I'm using Amplified, he causes all things to work together, what, as a plan for good for those who love God. To those who are called according to his plan and purpose. Listen, what I would like to tell my friend, what I would like, if I could go back. I'm pretty sure I did, but I can't remember entirely. But if I could, I'd go back again and remind him. Listen, there's some thoughts you have permission to have. There are other thoughts you don't get permission to have because they're your old man and not your new man. And if it's your old man, you have permission and actually you're commanded to go boop and mute. And go, boop, and play your new man. Some people say, man, I got, I, I, I hate myself. Let's, let's just do a little Q&A. Do you think that's your old man or your new man? Right. Life's not worth living. Old man, new man. God could never forgive you for what you did. Yeah. You have permission. Some of you never knew you had permission. You have permission. Sometimes you actually have to say, shut up. 
You have to partner. You can't just keep taking those hits, taking those bullets. That's why we got a series coming in August. But that's why renewing our mind in the Word of God, soaking in His truth, what He's spoken over you. you got to spend time there. you got to spend time in that Word, getting in it, letting God rewire, rework, reframe. Romans 8.28 is just that. Paul's looking back. I can't imagine. I can't say with exactly what he was thinking, but I'm sure he's looking back thinking, man, I used to destroy the church. I used to love Christians, is what he's thinking. I loved them so much, I put them in prison. I loved them so much, I condemned them to death. Paul's looking back and regrets bubbling over, and then, then he's reminded through the Holy Spirit, wait, 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 wait. We know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His plan and His purpose. Repent, refrain, rebuild. 1 Timothy 1, 15-16. Paul again. Here is a trustworthy saying, that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. Part of God's beautiful redemptive story in us is that He now draws us into the future He's called for us to live in. Freedom, peace, prosperity of the soul, joy, patience, goodness. We rebuild our future on the mercy of Jesus Christ. The story of Paul in some ways is a story we can all relate to. Because there's not one person in here who's not in need of the mercy of God. And the scripture would say, and Paul would remind us, that every time we come to Jesus, we get the same response. You are forgiven. It's so important that for you and I, I really want to encourage you, that you let the Lord lead you on the path of reframing regret. And I've got another encouragement, maybe, maybe for some spouses, maybe for some friends, maybe just for yourself. If you have people in your sphere of life who have a past, be the advocate in their life. Don't serve as an accuser reminding them. They are well aware of who they were and what they did. But I would love for us to be a church that as we infiltrate this community with the love of God, we can't help ourselves but advocate on behalf of the Lord for their future by reminding them that their best days are ahead through the mercy of God. And that sometimes that just looks like reminding them, man, your sins are forgiven. And it takes a season, but I trust you, if we can one foot in front of the other, one day at a time, I can encourage you, if regret is a spiritual warfare battle that seems to be daily on your front porch of life. Know this, it won't always be that way. You're building spiritual muscles now for your future. It happens to all of us. You're not alone. But know that God's strengthening you 
for the future he has for you. Amen? Receive that today. Let me pray. We'll sing. We'll eat some Kona iced.